0: Hello! Welcome to Biblio Observatory, a new podcast series of the South Carolina State Library. I am Yvette Villarreal, Biblio Observatory hostess.
1: And I am Caroline Smith, the Inclusive Services Consultant at the South Carolina State Library. This is a special transmission from Columbia, South Carolina, to explore the universe of books and stories that people treasure from their childhood and how those stories defined the lives of people touched by them. And today we have with us a special guest, Dr. Pat Feehan. Welcome.
0: Thank you, Pat, for being with us today. Oh, my
2: pleasure. Thank you.
1: And I have
0: to say a little, um, meaningful story here. Biblia Observatory couldn't have been possible without Pat. In 2012, when I presented this idea to a group of wonderful people and among them we had Pat, they encouraged me to keep going. And it wasn't easy. I mean, it took many, many, many years to develop it and make it true. But I will never forget your encouraging and
2: your support. Well, I thought it was a wonderful concept, and I am so happy that it came to fruition and that we're here today. Yes.
0: Thank you for being with us today. We have our very first question. Okay. You're sounding very serious, (laughs) but it's not at all. And this
1: Um, is a very difficult question. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you would like our listeners to know about you?
2: Oh, no, I haven't prepared at all. (laughs) I guess the first thing I have to say is that I have identified as a librarian for almost 65 years. And I say 65 even though I only worked as a professional for 50 because when I was in the fourth grade and nine years old. We opened up a library in my elementary school. They had turned a classroom into a library, and I was the first library assistant. <laughs> and so I feel like since I was nine years old, I have been a librarian in my heart. And all the different paths my life has taken um, in the backdrop of my life are libraries uh, specifically specifically public libraries. Can you tell us a little bit about
0: where where, where that was, that is school? Where were you
2: coming from? I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I lived on Garfield Street, and across the street was the school. <laughs> <laughs> and it was Sacred Heart Elementary. And I also um, from there went on to high school, and in high school, believe it or not, oh, I'm such a nerd, I became the secretary of the Southwest Michigan Library Assistance Association. Yes. Oh, wow. (laughs) And, And I really did not plan to be a librarian when I grew up. I was going to be an English teacher. I always was drawn to the library, always wanted to help, always wanted to be around books and uh, we had nuns in our school, and they saw me coming, and they were hoping that I would either be a nun or a librarian nun, and I did become one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) And then, when I uh, went to college, I didn't even plan to work in a library part-time while I was going to college. I went to the Employment Commission I said, do you have any part-time jobs open? And they sent me to Kent County Library in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And that was like my first real job. Do you remember
0: when it started, that passion toward
2: libraries? I think the passion towards libraries started with the fact that I really, as a child, wasn't fulfilled or satisfied with um, getting what I needed, which in my mind, stories and books, I, I remember having my tonsils out and getting as a present the um, story of Hiawatha illustrated, who is that, Robert Louis Stevenson, I think. And I still remember, by the shores of Gitchigumi, by the shining big sea waters, stood the wrinkled old Nokomis. And I don't even remember the rest of it, but I was just like enchanted by the words and by the pictures. And I was seven years old at that time. And then the next book I remember getting was a Disney version of Peter Pan and it, I look, I still have that somewhere buried. And I looked at that, and I later and thought, this is fourth grade level, and I was in the second grade. So to me, I must have been craving more of those images and more of those wonderful words. The shining big sea waters. Oh, I mean, he created such pictures in my head. Well... I began going to the library by myself. I would walk to our neighborhood library, I would read while I was walking, (laughs) but nobody ever really read to me. And so I think that hunger led me to find, I don't know how or why, I, I don't remember that, but I just remember walking to the library, reading books on the way home, not getting hit by a car. <laughs> and, uh, and to this day I think about my parents who were wonderful parents. I had a lovely upbringing with three siblings and um, but that reading was not in our house. It wasn't part of our life. So I sought it out and the library became really, really important to me.
0: You mentioned your love For words, Mm -hmm. do you have any any memories when you were even younger, like let's say three years old, for any words, any
2: phrase, a song? (laughs) Yes, but. But they were not childhood songs. I used to, I have been a performer all my life. So that's one of the things I love about libraries is library programming and library pro- programming for children and encouraging kids to do the same and dance and move and sing and and, you know, fulfill their potential. And <laughs> we had a two-story house, and in the backyard, we, we had a back porch in the backyard and the second story had a back porch. And the tenants who lived on the second floor would sit out on the porch and they were my audience <laughs> and I would be down in the driveway singing and dancing. But I was singing that old black magic <laughs> in its spell. I obviously must have picked that up from musical TV shows that were going on in the living room. But I would perform, and Mr. and Mrs. Miller, that was their names, and they would clap, and (laughs) I was just in seventh heaven. And so songs, music, poetry, words, meaning, feeling, Sometimes I feel like I have a tuning fork in my feet where I hear a certain song and it just kind of reverberates. And see, that's what gives me that joy. Yes, there were nursery rhymes. I don't remember learning any from my parents. I was the firstborn, so there weren't any other siblings, you know, in front of me. So now, well, and then, too, as I grew up, I would make sure my siblings always got books, which, of course, they thought was boring as I'll get out, um, you know, for Christmas presents and birthday presents, because I kept wanting to get them to feel the passion that I did. And I, I'm going to say it right now. I, Because of my book fetish, my, I have two nieces who are children's librarians. So they say each one reach one for recruiting. Well, I got to. (laughs) So even though they used to throw those books over their shoulder and go, eh, boring, and it certainly took with me, and I guess I have often thought of myself as kind of like a Johnny Appleseed or Pied Piper of bringing young people to literature, music, song, poetry, words. And I think it's all part of literacy. Big part.
1: I was just thinking that you've influenced so many more people than just those two. Oh. And including myself as I was one of your students in the School of Library yeah. Science.
2: Well that you know, that's what happened is it my my love of books and libraries led me to being a librarian for twenty years, but then I really, really wanted to teach other people. And so that's why I went back to school and joined the faculty here at the University of South Carolina, my first job, and stayed there for 28 years and retired um, in 2016. And I'm taking retirement very, very seriously. And I said, when I retire, I'm going to read a book all the way through. (laughs) Because for years, as a librarian, everyone thinks all you do is read. No. (laughs) You never get to finish a book. And it's always, there's, there's so much more to, to the profession. But now, my love of Mother Goose, of just the, the basic stories of the three little pigs, little red riding hood, the things we all know, the three, little, the three bears that we can tell by heart, there's many, many people who don't know those. They did not get them growing up, and they, they are now adults and they still don't know. And even adults, I say, bring them into your story times and give them um, the diet of the good old basics, especially Mother Goose, and pass it on. So we never lose that literary heritage. And um, Mother Goose, when you think about Mother Goose, four little, five, six little lines and the drama and the characters mm-hmm. and the conflict, the plots, the humor, just in that little little bit, I just it's amazing to me.
1: Do you have a favorite story that you'd like to share with us today?
2: Well, The story that I was thinking about is not like a story from my childhood. And I hate to just keep going on and on about how much I love being a (laughs) librarian, but I do. (laughs) And so somebody gives me the opportunity. The story that touched me the most at a very um, opportune time, I was already in my sophomore year of college. And I was taking a young adult literature course, and I had never read the young adult books when I was a young adult. I remember in the library crossing over from the children's books into, I, I kind of crept past the librarian and the checkout desk, into the adult mysteries. And that was what I read through my like middle school. But I read A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith, and it was all about a little girl named Francie Nolan in New York City in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, but she went to the library every week, and she was planning to read every book through the alphabet, but she was still only on the B's. But on Saturdays she went and that was the day she would go to the librarian and ask her to recommend something. But the librarian in this book never looked up at Francie Nolan and Francie would go to the desk and she would say, can you recommend a book for a little girl? And the librarian without looking up would say, how old? 11 years old, said Francie. And then she would pull out two books from the shelf under the desk. The same two books she always gave Francie. Never looking up, never learning what Francie liked, never seeing that Francie had already read these books a hundred times. But Francie was thrilled and she walked out with those books, and the last line of that little scene is that it was all she could do to just not sit right down on the stoop of the library and start reading. Oh my gosh, I said, I was gonna be an English major. (laughs) And I said, I am going to be a librarian, I am going to be a children's librarian, and I am going to look up. (laughs) And I, you know, I just got chills. And I know this sounds so, you know, like, oh, my, come on. But that's my your story, life. and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, it changed your life. Mm-hmm. It did. And that's what I did the rest of my life. Whether I myself at the desk working with the children or teaching and training people the importance of acknowledging and respecting the child the child in all of us because working with children for a long long time taught me adults are really children <laughs> a and lot it's of true. them <laughs> and you can see that when when you begin when you work with children and um so it was it was my honor and pleasure to work with people who came into our school and wanted to work with children. They knew they would be on the bottom of the totem pole of library science and probably not get paid as much as some, but they had that passion. I'll be forever grateful that I could spend my whole life because now I'm 74 and you making me think back and feel all these things. How did I get so lucky to get on the right path and stay on it? And it made me happy my whole life.
0: That's wonderful.
2: And I'm still a child.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, taking these two stories, the one when you were a Mm nine-year-old about a ballerina.
2: Oh, yes. The book, the first book I checked out of our new elementary library was called Jennifer Dances and we just looked it up, it was Eunice, Eunice Young-Smith. And all I still remember is it was purple, it was this big. So see, if I went into a library, like every librarian knows, you go and you say, I want a book, I'm trying to find a book. It's this big, it's purple, only I know the title. I had to look up the author because it's been a long, long time. And that was like the prize fourth grade prize. I got it. First book. And the ballerina idea actually is funny because I have not become a ballerina, obviously, but I used to stand in the neighborhood library and have a ballet book open and stand there in the library practicing plies and looking at the pictures. And A few years ago, I went back to my neighborhood library, and I walked across where the checkout desk was. Things have changed a bit, but the children's room was still there. And I went and I stood by the shelf where the ballet books were, and just for myself, I posed and brought it all all back full, 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 round to closure but why I didn't become a ballerina well (laughs) that's a whole other story but just that whole theme of my life where that was my dream and I found my dream in a book that's what resonated with me because then I knew there were children who had those same dreams maybe not ballerina but something else You can find your dreams in books. It
0: really blew my mind. I'm gonna take this opportunity to ask you, Pat, about life for children in this new era, era of technology, social media. What can you tell us about that?
2: I don't have children of my own, so I can't speak personally. But of course, I sit in restaurants and I look over and I see adults with children having a meal and they all want to visit and talk and so they put an iPhone into the hands of the child or an iPad and then the child is silent and and grossed and um, non-involved with the adults and any conversation. And, and of course that bothers me as a person who has loved words and language and you know, interconnectedness and all of that all my life. But that's what to me makes it even more important for people who are educators, um, children's librarians, anybody working with young people Parents, <laughs> parents, how you know? How can we yell it from, from the rooftops? It is your duty to make sure there's balance. That it technology is really a fabulous tool. I I am first to say, I want instant information. I'm looking things up all the time. Uh, instant camera you know, texting, all the wonderful things that you can get just on, on your devices. Oh, and so much more. But somebody still has to balance the diet. And that's why I was so proud and happy to be an educator, because I could, you know, hit home the importance of the power that you have to change a child's life to help them fulfill their own dreams and aspirations. They need the human connectivity and that's why even though there were people who said libraries are going to go out of style, today's public libraries are filled with families, with children. There is still the good, old, basic story time, which was started back in the 1930s. And, you know, children want to hear a good story. They want to look at beautiful things. And unless you put it before them, it isn't gonna happen. So. I am pleased to be part of a profession that for years and years and decades and decades have made children a priority to have that happen, to have Mother Goose rhymes still. Now, some of the Mother Goose rhymes are animated and they are (laughs) on a screen in the storytime room. We have moved into that because you have to keep up or you become obsolete. But there's we're still doing that job, even today. The tools look a little different. The venue looks a little different. So, you know, it's just like anything else. It's all balance. And using that technology as a tool, not as a barrier, um, it's so simple, seems to me you know?
0: You mentioned um, at some point in our little chats during and before the interview this conversation, I don't like to call it interview, um, about Fahrenheit.
2: Oh Fahrenheit 451 is another one of my favorite books. Um, Again, of course not a child's story and Of course another book about books (laughs) but um, that was very powerful when I first read that not so much the horror of the book burning and and you know that's been done it may be done again I happen to believe you can burn it but it can't go away and that's what Fahrenheit 451 is about a secret society of people who decided you can burn the printed book but they memorized the book and became the book became the story and the last scene in the movie Fahrenheit 451 has a lot of impact because you see people walking around and sharing with each other their books themselves making those human connections and sharing exchanging that's what humanity is and so that has always been powerful the the book oh gosh now who i can't even think ray bradbury Bradbury, thank you (laughs) who is one of my favorites but yes um, Fahrenheit 451 I think is something <laughs> that was written quite a while ago but it was a red flag <laughs> to us and um, and still can be but you know what I have all the faith in the world that there is a group of people out there that I could find and they, are, they feel just like I do and we might just meet in the forest one day and walk around and share our stories. <laughs> I, I do have faith that there, there are people who still really feel this way everywhere. And it's that little grassroots movement that will keep it alive.
1: And it's an honor to have you share part of that story with us today yes. as well.
2: Thank you.
0: We saw a picture of yours um, from your childhood and uh, we would love for you to tell us a little bit about it.
2: Well, the reason I shared it with you was because when you said, uh, do you have any photos of you that, you know, um, touched you or anything as as a young um, person? um, I think I must have been about seven, six or seven, maybe eight, I can't tell, I wasn't very tall. But anyway, Mm -hmm. we're at the beach in Grand Haven, Michigan and we were there every week to fish off the piers and my sister and I are standing with the wind blowing on a sunny day and we're with my father leaning on our 1956 Dodge (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and i my it's my absolute favorite picture because when i look at that photo of me i feel what it looks like the picture of me is standing straight with my arm on my dad's car my dad's above me with his arm around me and around my sister my sister's got her head down and touching Um, my hand, and I am just looking straight out at the sun with the wind blowing. And that personifies the feeling I carry around inside me. That childlike joy in life. And it can sound corny, but it's true. That picture now when I look at it shows the promise and the potential that I had. I look at that little girl and I think about all the other little girls and little boys with, with the promise of the future ahead of them. And I have my whole life as a professional and personally wanted to play a part in fulfilling that potential. It's a very, very powerful position, and we do, as adults in children's lives, get to play a real power role. And so one of the things I have always said to my students, use your power for good. There's another book that I really love, Miss Rumpheus by Barbara Cooney, and she, is a librarian, of course. (laughs) And she travels the world and at the end of her life she retires in Maine and she grows lupin. And there are photos, wonderful illustrations. It's a picture book. And she is sitting with children at her feet, telling them stories, telling them about her life. And her motto always was leave something beautiful in the world. And that's what I used to end my classes with in children's literature and children's programming and management. Go out and leave something beautiful in the world and use your power for good. Pat, thank you so much
0: for being with us today and for sharing something so beautiful, so close to your heart, so important for our communities, our parents and uh, the grown ups in general to keep in mind that it's not just a book and some words printed. There is something beyond that can transform your life and inspire you forever.
2: Thank you. You're most welcome.
1: And thank you for inspiring us to try to leave something beautiful behind as well. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today and thank you to our listeners. You can find Bibli Observatory on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com We love hearing from our listeners, so send us your comments and suggestions for future episodes.
0: Biblio Observatory is a collaborative literacy initiative to connect our communities and children with the joy of listening, reading, and writing those memories from childhood that changed our lives. Thanks for listening.